Hello, I'm Sophia. I'm in my garden and I hope you can hear the birds. It's finally here, season two of the I Made a Thing podcast. And if you're new, welcome. This project is all about helping those interested in business, in owning their own thing, in creating and doing something different. Figuring out just how you can do it. When I wanted to do something different, I could only find American male role models. So here's something different, made by Australian women, featuring Australian women, and our ideas. Today on the I Made A Thing podcast, I'm bringing you a very special chat with a person who made a dramatic change to the trajectory of their career. As you'll hear, previously the things that made her peers perhaps uncomfortable now set her apart. She's going to talk about discovering and letting her magic out. For those of you who are joining us, my name is Kerry Carucci and I am a Brisbane-based personal editorial and campaign stylist uh, and I also do a little bit of content creation and speakership as well. Uh, my business is built off the passion of um, fashion and styling uh, but ultimately I work with primarily time-poor men and women uh, to help them and empower them to feel confident every single day and the best version of themselves. Amazing. I need more of that. And in fact, I will be working with Kerry soon. So I'm excited to share more of that journey. Journey. (laughs) Such a cheesy word, but it feels like a journey for me. Uh, Once we get into it in the next few days, hopefully, Kerry, I need to get back to your email about booking in a time for that. We've been so disrupted recently with the with the virus and Carrie and I are going to talk a little bit about how she's kind of coping at the moment and some mechanisms that she's put in place for her business. But I guess before we get into the, the doom and gloom side of things, I wanted to ask you, Carrie, a little bit about your journey because you've mentioned that you started off in a very corporate background. Can you tell me about your job back then and how you found yourself working in engineering? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, and it sounds so cliche when people say this, but I really fell into the world of engineering. And I say that tongue in cheek because growing up um, in a small country town up in far north Queensland, Mareeba, there was, it's very much in primarily a farming um, and agricultural um, industry-based town. And for me, it was definitely, that wasn't part of what I enjoyed or what I loved, but throughout school, I was undertaking, you know, a range of different subjects and quite the academic at that time. And it was very contrast. I had the vision of, you know, studying to be a vet, uh, which a lot of people find quite amusing but I think after spending six months doing some science subjects I was like this is definitely not for me so (laughs) for me I actually it was just there was far too much going on at that time um I think so I was undertaking a couple of subjects and graphics which is you know drawing plans and sort of creating those sorts of um 2D or 3D items was something that I really, really enjoyed. And uh, I think leaving school, like I know a lot of um, students, especially at the moment, they can relate to that stressful period and you sort of just wanted a break. And I took uh, a university or a you know, study break for a year and I was working for a building company just doing some admin. But what I realised, I really enjoyed 
the component of seeing something from an idea on a piece of paper and to see it actually come to fruitation in that in that real life form. Um, so I had enrolled building for building design um, at university, engineering, uh, and then there was an opportunity that arose uh, with a cadetship. So a cadetship's basically where a company will um, provide incentives for you to study with them. Uh, and that was a company that had water infrastructure, which, as I mentioned, up in far north Queensland is very much predominantly agriculture. So they looked after all of that infrastructure to basically bring um, and provide water supplementation to um, the farming community from the means of pipelines and dams and those sorts of things. So I worked for that company um, and undertook my studies in civil engineering externally. So I was working full-time and studying um, part-time externally there. And for me personally, that was the best way that I found I could learn really well. It was quite practical. Um, they were really great, the team that I worked with. They would really facilitate what I was learning into a practical sense at work. Uh, and also coming from a background where uh, my dad's actually um, very hands-on man and very much the designer, so to speak. Um, and also I come from a background of my nono who actually created and um, designed one of the first tobacco picking machines that the country's seen. So wow. it's very much... Yeah, so it's it's a quite, and it's only upon reflection that you sort of realise that those sorts of components were somewhat maybe passed down um, from a generation. But I think the real interest for me to actually obtain and to get into engineering was being able to create something from nothing um, in a visual sense. And upon reflection now, I often joke about it that really my job within the engineering industry when it was, it was to make dirt look pretty it really was like it's it's coming from nothing to something and that's kind of my justification for it definitely um but yeah so that I um given the circumstance and I think around about 2010 I made the decision to move from far north Queensland down to Brisbane uh to follow a bit of a career path and at that time I was as you mentioned in the corporate industry and I was very much uh, career-driven, and that was my sole focus. I really, really wanted to excel in that element, and I really diversified what my career looked like. So I was working for a range of different consultancies in different fields of civil engineering. So as I mentioned, the water infrastructure, I was working for a consultancy that was very much um, mining-based driven. I worked for another um, consultancy throughout that sort of I'd say about the 10, 12 year period um, for more developments and urban side of things. And that really gave me an appreciation of what that sort of looked like um, and how much impact that definitely had. But to be perfectly honest, I think when I, upon reflection, probably about five or so years ago is when I started to really question um, what I was doing with my career, I had become so um, driven by being able to, you know, create amazing things and really um, activate that career component. But I started to lose part of myself. And what I realised that stemmed from, most people 
would understand that the engineering industry is very much male dominated. And this is not to say that this is how every company is, but given the fact that it is quite an old generation of, um, you know, an industry that has been around for so long, there is a lot of old paramounts and a lot of old ideas of how you should do things as well. And for me, being a very bubbly and excited um, and quite driven um, woman, it, it posed its own sort of um, implications, I suppose. Um, I And it's, it's funny because I really needed to work twice as hard to somewhat prove myself um, of the value that I was either bring, bringing to you know, that particular project or also to just be taken seriously around, you know, how you were creating, um, you know, impact within that sort of area of your career as well. And you start to lose a little bit of yourself and it's something that I realised um, I was doing and I'd lost the love for the industry. I'd lost the love for what I was doing. And that's where, I don't know, call it a bit of a universal sort of pull, I started to get quite curious as to, you know, what my values were, what did I really enjoy, what did I love, like what hobbies did I have? Um, because when you, and I'm sure a lot of people that are in the corporate industry can understand and relate to this, that you get so consumed and also especially if you are on, you know, project deadlines and those sorts of things, you know, that really fleshes out into being long hours and ultimately you feel like you're working seven days a week for someone else or working for the man. Um, so I um, I was working with my mum or a bit of a collaboration. So my mum has her own small fashion label uh, up in final Queensland still but she services clients Australia-wide and New Zealand as well and her and I always had that creative outlet. I definitely, my background especially growing up um, you could find me normally on the floor of her sewing room or, you know, surrounded by fabric swatches or sketching things. And that's something that I've always really, really loved. And me having this kind of, by having, I suppose, an epiphany of really trying to get back to my roots and those things that I really loved brought me back to, you know, working alongside her and coming up with ideas and you know, sourcing some fabric for her. It's something that I had as a bit of a creative outlet. Um, and at the time, there was a, a workshop that was being held in Brisbane by the Australian Style Institute. And both her and I made the decision that it would be an amazing opportunity for me to attend this workshop, uh, which was how to become a stylist, mainly because we had together somewhat thought that it could be an idea for me to bring in, you know, a bit of a consulting um, arm to her business, even if it was just, you know, on the weekends, because at that time I was attending a lot of uh, races. It was something that, you know, I'd align with her. We'd collaborate on an idea and we'd make an outfit together and um, I'd wear that and it'd just be a bit of a creative outlet. So, the two-day workshop was literally just to obtain some skills, some insights on how we could really expand um, her service offering and really help her clients. But by no means did I know the impact those two days would have on my life and really just to 
challenge the thought process that I had around why I was somewhat feeling a little bit lost. Um, Lauren DiBartolo, who is the founder of Australian Style Institute, has studied quite extensively in um, NLP training and you know the human psychology side of things. And I think this is where a lot of people, and myself included, really underestimated what a personal stylist does and really what the world of styling. And I think after that two days, what that really brought about um, in my, and really reinforced was how powerful clothing can be to your everyday life and how you show up. And what I'd realized um, was that consciously or maybe subconsciously, my whole entire career, I had been somewhat putting on my armor. And again, saying that tongue in cheek, but for me, it was to get dressed every day, to put on a pair of um, heels, to put on a winged eyeliner and feel really confident in what I was wearing because that allowed me to have the confidence to hold myself in a boardroom full of men to be able to talk about a project or to present to a client an idea that could be pivotal for their, um, you know, ways that they're doing things moving forward. There was all of these different things that sort of led me on this path and it wasn't until that weekend workshop where it was somewhat reinforced. All of those things that I was doing subconsciously had led me into this um, particular you know, time of my life and start questioning and getting really curious around what that all looked and what that all felt like. Um, so that weekend I left so inspired and I had all of these, you know, epiphanies around, right, this is, this explains so many different elements of my career and life and where things are at the moment. But I think, you know, upon reflection, it was definitely, uh, fear is one of those biggest things, um, to even think that it could be possible that I would change careers if that's even, I didn't even think that could be. I mean, obviously, I knew that people were definitely, they had businesses and styling. There was plenty of personal stylists. There were some beautiful stories that were shared and I'd met, um, you know, these Brisbane-based stylists that were at that workshop. But at that time, I think I, was, I wasn't ready to even go down that path. And I think you just kind of slot back into everyday life and I definitely did that um, for another about 15 months or so. And then I think, it again, it just happens. Like there's these pivotal points in life that one day I just had enough and I'd called, uh, I called ASI and I was like, right, I'm going to enrol. This is what I'm doing. So I undertook a, um, a master's um, of advanced professional styling. So Australian Style Institute's based down in Melbourne. Uh, they do, the way that they kind of structure their course learnings is it's face-to-face -face, uh, for a certain amount of days and the rest is all online modules etc and that that was in November 2017 and for me that week definitely changed my life it changed the trajectory that I was going on I I had this different insight around um, just taking control of my passion and the curiosity and actually, you, I don't know, I'm always such a huge believer that we have a feeling 
and it's something little little reminders will keep coming up in life but then if you follow that feeling then that's where the true magic happens and the fact that I gave myself that opportunity I think for so long in my career I had sort of just pushed that down to say no no that's not practical it's not practical and being someone obviously studying engineering and being in that industry I am very strategy based and quite statistic and everything needs to make sense and I think it was the first time that I just kind of let go and let it flow and it did it it, it made sense and it felt like magic definitely but um yeah so that was November 2017 and then from there I um, started to build my styling business on the side I was still working uh, full-time at that time and then it got to the middle of um, June, about June 2018 that I took a step back and went part-time because things had just started to really um, come into fruitation with my styling business and it's you know, call it the universal law of attraction or whatever you like. But for me, it was definitely very much where your focus goes, you know, energy really does flow. And some beautiful opportunities came about that I was working with some incredible clients. I was working with uh, some amazing creatives where we were getting published in international fashion magazines. You know, just there was so much going on um, and at that time, it was just, it was surreal. But I had never felt so alive um, because you're just fueling that passion. And I um, sort of maintained that sort of carryover in a sense of what that looked and felt like. And I think even upon reflection, I definitely, I could have left my corporate career completely probably 12 months earlier than what I really did. Uh, but there's always fear involved and, you know, you definitely need to be okay with moving into a different structure. And that was definitely something that I needed to work on um, for myself because obviously moving from quite a stable um, career path like engineering to um, having your own small business, being the marketing accountant stylist you need to wear all these hats but also understanding that the nature of a creative industry like styling is very much freelance so it's being okay with the ebbs and flows of work and um, the ebbs and flows of opportunity as well that was definitely a process that I needed to learn and I mean I'm still learning I'm still navigating every single day and that's the beautiful part about it as well um, it's really facilitating the fact of how much growth um, you can have as a person but I mean I I get a lot of um, a lot of energy and a lot of growth from the people that I get to work with and the clients that I get to you know help transform or really step into their true um, their true selves but also just empower and that for me is what will, and will continue to always fuel the fire that I have um, of being able to bring that to life as well. <laughs> Amazing, Kerry. Thank you so much. I want to circle back and just talk a little bit about your time in civil engineering. So from the time, I guess, of moving, having a more corporate feel to your life, working as a civil engineer, how many years were you doing that before you started to think that styling could be an option for you? 
yeah. So I, what was that? I would have been really in the crux of it for a good, uh, a good five years ultimately because I, I was starting my cadetship quite early on um, and you weren't really, you were sort of just navigating the first sort of four years or so, you're kind of just navigating through that. So I'd say that it was, yeah, it was probably two or three years after I'd finished studying and I was really in the crux of it all, um, which, you know, upon reflection, as I said, it was probably now, if I look back, uh, would have been about five, six years ago. Mm. Mm. And what what did your day-to-day life look like when you're going, were you going to an office? You mentioned that you're consulting. Were you going to clients' premises? How did that sort of work? Yeah, definitely. So I, um, I worked for a range of different companies, like, and when I say different companies, different size companies. So the smaller consultancies, obviously are a lot more um, hands-on in that respect that you're doing, you're doing a lot more on projects. So you are out and about. Um, one of the first jobs that I had once I'd moved to Brisbane, I was actually um, somewhat consulting and working for the um, the software that we use. So my background, I did study civil engineering, but my title, so to speak, was civil designer. So I was very much more in the modeling 3D space, um, using AutoCAD, using Civil 3D, using all of these different software platforms to create solutions um, in a modeling sense. Uh, so there was a lot of travel involved. You were either doing site visits or doing a lot of um, in-house meetings with those, you know, mining-based companies as well, um, which, you know, that is quite a dynamic uh, circumstance to navigate as well. You know, you've got um, a lot of stakeholders involved in decisions and ultimately one of the things that I realised is, and that was probably one part of, that would come up in every single component of my day-to-day work day. You were constantly trying to build rapport and prove yourself to be um, somewhat attainably knowledgeable in that sense and almost that people could know and trust what you were saying. Um, and it was really, in upon reflection, it's really around the fact that I was a female um, in that industry. It was almost... It was, and it's, and I say this tongue in cheek again because back then, um, you know, six, eight years ago, there wasn't such a focus as there is now for equality within the workplaces, especially in engineering. They've done a lot of work in both universities and really um, creating those opportunities for female and um, females in engineering. And even now, companies are really um, trying to equal out the. Um, the percentage ratio and the ratio of having that and having that diversity because I understand how important it is to have um, both parties involved in that industry. But I think day-to-day life would just, it was so, it was constantly dynamic because the nature of the business also, you, you'll you get to the point of being able to deliver something to a client and then the goalposts would somewhat change because something would change from a design component or something would just change on site. So that was something that I personally struggled with, Sophia, um, the mm. move target of somewhat not having control 
of what was happening um, constantly. And it is definitely something that shows up a lot um, within the industry and it's being okay with that. But it's definitely something that I personally found really frustrating around. And that's where I think you start to kind of question. That was quite pivotal for me because it just kept happening between having to constantly prove myself um, to get that authority, to have an opinion or to have insight around that um, or to even just have suggestions in certain elements. Uh, and then also constantly having to come up with problem-solving techniques as the goal post would keep changing all the dynamics on things so that was definitely what it looked and felt like on a daily basis but also given the fact of that happening you know normally you would think it's a, an eight to five job or once you started to develop your career it would obviously be a few more hours but you know when it starts to move the goalpost out that you're still in the office at nine o'clock at night uh it makes it, it makes it interesting and it, it makes you question, you know, is this something that I really love to be able to do this for the rest of my life? Um, and that was definitely a conversation that I would have constantly with myself that if I loved it enough or I could see value in what I was doing, that wouldn't be an issue for me. But it would really, that was where there started to be quite pivotal moments where I knew I couldn't sustain that for the next 20, 30 years of my career either. And I'm guessing a lot of your stakeholders and clients were male as well as your colleagues? Oh, 100%, definitely. Um, majority of the stakeholders um, and any senior executives within that industry um, would be male. Uh, and at that time, larger consultancies, there was a move towards the end of my career in engineering there is obviously more females that you're working with in a team, um, but the key stakeholders, the key decision makers, um, yeah, definitely all male. So you've talked about with styling that one of your aims is to, is to help your clients feel empowered, to have that clarity, to have that confidence. Mm. How were you feeling at that stage in your life and you've, you've talked about putting on your armour to, to go into work each day. I want to understand a little bit because we, we've touched, you've touched on the, um, the psychology of this and, and the behavioural science behind this is so important. Mm. I would love to kind of discuss a little bit about where was your head at in terms of how you're actually showing up physically? What were you wearing? How are you putting yourself out there compared to maybe what your life now looks like and, and, and draw us a little bit of a paint us a picture carry of what that looked like you know did you have to get up super early to get ready were you prepping the night before did you sort of have your own uniform that you were wearing how did you handle I guess expectations too from such a male dominated industry about what you were actually going to wear yeah absolutely and I think um something that I was always cautious of was that being being a um, a female within that industry, you somewhat were a rose between all the thorns. So you were going to stand out either way. I didn't want to stand out or draw attention to myself. So it's being very conscious around what I was wearing to work. It wasn't too revealing. There was, and I think there was even more of an emphasis to be really professional. And I use this quite regularly with my clients now, personal styling clients, and you'll undertake the same um, process. 
Sophia when we um, undertake our consultation. So a part of the process when I am working with someone first is to really understand and roadmap out what their personal style is. Um, and there is a somewhat activity to really get into the nuts and bolts of what that looks like. So um, we all have a part of our in our brain called our reticular activating system. So this sits behind our brain and it somewhat functions as a bit of a filter to how we receive information, um, but also it has a mechanism that it creates and puts things together that are quite similar. So the reason why um, I reference that is because we, given our circumstances or environment, that will always change the way um, that we do look at things and what those filters look like. And when I was working in engineering, because I had such a focus and such an emphasis on really ensuring that I was being taken seriously, for me, it was all about, you know, dressing really well. I'd always have a blazer on because that was like something that was relatable um, from a professional standpoint, but it also somewhat had quite a masculine feel about it. Um, and oh, that's so interesting, Kerry. I have to I have to stop you there for a second because um, I talk in another podcast episode. I think it's our professionalism episode of I Made a Thing with Rachel, where uh, we touch on that when I was working in like public servant office, very professional, male dominated. I actually dressed so much like a man um, that. I had colleagues actually approach me and say, oh, I didn't realise that that you were gay. And, um, you know, I was obviously it was totally inappropriate for multiple reasons. Um, so many weird things going on there. But uh, it, it really shocked me. And so I'm interested, yeah, I'm so interested to hear more about your experience with wearing um, perhaps clothing that isn't true to you or that then... Um, start sparking weird reactions from people too and and weird um assumptions I guess about you yeah absolutely and I mean at that time too and this is something that I would like to mention in reference to that because um it's sort of for me it heightened more at that time I had a very short bob it was platinum blonde so you're kind of drawing attention to yourself without actually really um trying to start off with because it's as I mentioned before rose between all the thorns um so for me it was I didn't want to be taken as you know a somewhat or you know an unknowledgeable or the the expectation around because she's blonde you know what would she know which is completely inappropriate and but this is I like what you just mentioned Sophia it's so it's these assumptions that have been made just on face value because of the environment conditioning that we all have. And so much goes into that, again, from a human behaviour and human psychology and what, what that looks and feels like. And as you mentioned, like, we're all trying to fit into a bit of a box of what corporate should look like, but also you're trying to simulate what's around you. So when you are in a very male-dominated industry, you are trying to navigate and somewhat fit in so that you are perceived as an equal. And this is, again, human behaviour and what we're trying to really do. And we don't even know we're doing it. And it's something that I have 
really, really delve deep in from upon reflection of what that looked like for myself, but also because I work with so many corporate women um, and even men as well, but what's kind of perceived or what the idea of that is, no one really understands it properly. We're just sort of all following the same. We're like ducks in a row. We're just all following whatever's um, happening in front of us without really questioning more what that looks and feels like for you personally. Going back to the armour and what my process was every single day, it was definitely my wardrobe looked very structured. I'd wear monochrome, so black and white only. Um, I mentioned the wing eyeliner. So at the time, that was that was something that I would do as, and upon reflection, it was a morning ritual. It was something that I would not leave the house without makeup on. The winged eyeliner and being able to formulate that was somewhat a way for me to have control of what, how I put myself out to the world and whether it's meditation or your coffee or whatever that looked like, doing that was my morning ritual to get me through the day. Um, and it's somewhat, it used to, I saw something a few years ago and it was similar to, you know, when you go to war and you put on your war paint, that was my version of war paint, which no one wants to think of, you know, their career or how they're going about their day. But what I really saw it was not that I saw my career as a war, but it was a way to feel empowered. And it was a way to feel really confident, whatever the day threw at you, because you didn't know what that looked like at that point, um, that you were prepared for it. So I'd wear my um, winged eyeliner and I would, if I had a day full of meetings, I would have a pair of stiletto heels on. That was my go-to. That's what really allowed me to step into the confident state that I was, um, that I could really feel empowered in that sense and really hold my own because that was, at that point in my career, was so important um, for me to do that. And upon reflection, that was such a vital part of where I parved into um, the world of styling, yes, but it also really fleshed out the success that I had in my career as well because every single day it was consistent and I was somewhat unshakable. If I had all of those key tools when I left the house in the morning, I really could take on the world. And did you have anyone to emulate in terms of another woman dressing or putting herself out in that manner? Was there someone that you were looking to or was there more just a generic idea that you'd kind of formed or, you know, how did you decide that that was what was going to give you confidence and, and empower you? Because um, it's interesting you, you touched on, on wearing heels because that's something that I've really struggled with in terms of, I guess, more of a feminist view about whether I'm, for or against or indifferent to and I just think it's such an interesting discussion around well if we don't have women in positions of power and we don't have I guess their cues in terms of how they're putting themselves out there in the world and a huge part of that is what they wear and how they present themselves then how do we kind of figure that out and and how do we do that in a way that is still we still feel comfortable in Mm, definitely. And I mean, that's not to say that you have to wear heels to feel that way. I think for me, that was just, I've always been such a, a fan of a good shoe. A shoe collection's a little bit extensive and it's always funny. Like it's just something that we've always joked about. And even from a very early age, um, 
you know, I've always been known as from my family, Amelia Marcos. So, you know, like having having shoes is just one part of what I it was a passion of mine and what I really loved, but it was a way upon reflection, and this is something that I work with a lot of my clients around as well. As I mentioned, I was wearing monochrome, I was wearing a lot of suiting. And that was somewhat the subconscious uniform and also what was accepted in the industry by wearing a stiletto of whatever that looked like, whether it was a colour or, you know, it was something a little bit different. It was a way for me to inject my personality into what I was wearing every single day. So it was almost I was obtaining the perception of fitting into the engineering industry and fitting into corporate life into fitting into what I was trying to emulate being part of um, you know an equal within that industry but the the stiletto thing was just something that I could bring a little bit of Kerry to my everyday somewhat yeah yep yep okay so you're in in that perhaps box that you mentioned about corporate wear, corporate dress. You've talked about then making the transition to your styling business. You are still working part-time. You start getting more styling clients. Eventually you're able to transition away from your, what you thought was going to be your career for, you know, for the rest of your life. You've now found this other other thing that you can do and, and you're now in this position to, I guess, wear and be whoever you want to be. But what did the early stages look like for you as you're trying to sort of transition and find your own new style and the way that you want to show up in the world? Because this is something I think um, a lot of people struggle with when they're transitioning out of a traditional career. I know for me, I'm still still struggling with it. And it's, it's sort of, you know, one of the big reasons that I want to work with you. But how do you how did you figure that out for yourself? And did you feel more pressure because you were, you know, a stylist? Yeah, definitely. It's funny because, um, I mean, as I mentioned that, that workshop five years ago, and it was just that two days, that was really what started to, uh, build that curiosity around what that looked and felt like and why I think I started to really, uh, investigate or really kind of come back to what my what my core values were or what my hobbies were or what I really even enjoyed is because I'd gotten so far into my career that I'd lost myself in trying to fit into this box. So every, you think about it, if you're at work five days a week or you're working ridiculous hours that you basically feel like you're there for seven days a week on weekends. And this is something that I realized I was doing on weekends. I was, a lot more casual, but my still my go-to would be a pair of jeans, a blazer, and a pair of heels. So there's still simulation of what that corporate look and felt like, even on weekends, which upon reflection, and what I mentioned before about your um, reticular activating system and the process that I go through with every single one of my clients, there is a part of our consultation that we undertake your style category. So that really fleshes out um, and using and exercising your RAS by looking at a range of different images and relating those to 
uh, a couple of or a few key words and you'll get a better appreciation of this Sophia when we um, when we get to work together uh, which I'm really excited about because when I had first undertaken that particular exercise and that was on that five-day training uh, and I was still I just freshly in the corporate industry and I'd undertaken this exercise and my style categories at that time came up as masculine, classic um, and stylish. That was kind of what they sat in. Now to most people, those words don't mean a lot, but to me and especially as a stylist and once I undertake this with each one of my clients, it really simulates what that looks and feels like. So masculine's very much, as I mentioned, very much the structured blazers um, all put together. Classic is usually referencing things like colour tones, so the black and white simulation. Um, and that would carry out on throughout the week in my corporate career, but then also on weekends. Uh, and then also you'd look at, you know, what the stylish, there was still that little bit of stylish feel, but the fact of the underlying masculine and classic, it was quite insightful. And that transition from trying to be in corporate, once I'd made the decision to really build out my styling business, it was quite conflictive because I was surrounded by so much creativity. I was surrounded by all of the opportunities. And it was almost the first time in a really long time that I got to play with colour in my everyday life and in a sense of like putting on colour and wearing different things and wearing things that were outrageous and over-accessorising and just somewhat, you know, gravitating into things that looked and felt good for myself. And that's the real real power in that. And it's, it's like you're having some fun. Yeah, finally. 100%. A hundred percent. And to be honest, it was the trickiest transition. And even upon reflection now, if I even look back a year ago, when I was obviously working at that point, I was basically working seven days a week because I was working um, four days in or three days in engineering still. And then I was working on weekends with clients and then working those other two days as well it was the hardest transition to come back into corporate life that components of my stylist uniform, so to speak, would start to flow into corporate. And it was the most, it was the funniest thing to even just see people's reactions. Because I think at that point too, I no longer was trying to prove myself in my career. Um, and selfishly, it was just a way and it was a strategy to transition from engineering into styling full time, that there was no longer that need or care factor to fit into someone's box. I was so authentically me because I'd already established this complete transition of what my style was. And if I wanted to wear a bright blue skirt to work, well, then I would. And there was all of these different factors that came into it. And it's just, it was funny to notice the behaviour of people's reactions to that. It definitely was. Um, but two years ago, I undertook that same um, style category activity. And that was probably after being in my business part-time for about a year or so um, and playing around with just those different compositions. And my style categories had completely transformed. 
And now, as they are, they sit in very much youthful, feminine, um, stylish, and a little bit trend as well, which, you know, that really, that depicts exactly what my style is at the moment because it is playing with colour. It's playing with, you know, beautiful contrast of, you know, flowy fabrics or prints and quite youthful in the sense that you don't need to prove you don't need to prove your um, yourself to anyone. You don't need to appear wiser or more established anymore. It's just you're so authentic. And I think that for me was such a huge insight um, and really reinforces what the privilege that I have when I'm working with my clients because I know the power of what that consultation and really road mapping out uh, their personal style because I've seen it and experienced it firsthand. So it's really, it's really quite powerful. And I think even working, because I have been working with a lot of corporate executives um, and especially women that are in those level, uh, high level um, positions and they are really looking at excelling their careers. The transition for them once they really understand what their personal style is and understanding that if they want to wear a really beautiful orange dress to a meeting, then they can. It doesn't need to be black and white and it doesn't need to fit into all these boxes. And it's just the transformation for me um, and seeing that unfold in front of my eyes is literally the most incredible thing ever uh, because when you are stepping into that authentic uh, position every single day, that's where the power is. It's no longer taking on hats and putting them off and you have to be this sort of person when you're around, you know, you're going into a meeting, you need to be perceived this way, you need to do this. It's it's quite, um, it's an even playing field across the board. Whether you're, it's on the weekends, you're still that same person, you're still having fun with colour, etc. or whether you're at work, there's different ways to establish that, but still to keep that consistently um, throughout your day-to-day life. Oh, I find this so fascinating and I could talk to you all day about this, but I do want to touch on, I guess, the effects of the virus on your business and how you're approaching it at the moment as of today. We know it could change again next week or tomorrow even. So how are you adjusting your business, I guess, to still be able to keep working? Yes, absolutely. Now, it, like everyone um, is experiencing at the moment, it is there is such uncertainty because things are changing quite rapidly. Um, and as you mentioned, we're waking up day to day and things are um, different to what they were yesterday. And um, to be completely honest, it's been something that I've had to work over even over the past week um, just to really sit in that uncertainty and be okay with it. Um, how it's sort of affected my business as a whole, given the fact of the, the type of service that I do offer, it is very personable. It is quite close contact. Um, when I am working with someone, I'm either in someone's home doing a wardrobe edit, uh, traditionally anyway, um, or whether we're out shopping together. So virtual styling has always been something uh, it's always been a service that I've offered, but it's only in moments and circumstances that we're experiencing right now. And we haven't really been forced 
to pivot or think differently uh, with that real necessary, uh, necessary action as we have now. So for me, it's really about I've had to really go within this week and I'm very, um, very blessed to have some amazing people in my life. I've got a really um, amazing mentor as well that we've sort of workshopped out a few different um, ideas around how I can still do exactly what I normally do in person, um, but virtually. So I've pivoted all my businesses at the moment to be and offering them completely virtual via Zoom, which we're doing this on. Uh, so I still can have that face-to-face contact uh, with my clients. I can offer up a wardrobe edit virtually. So it's still exactly the same look and feel because I am still there in that space and in that room. And we're still going through that transformation uh, together, but it's just on a different medium. And I think it's it's quite an exciting time to look at how we can be diversifying um, the way that we communicate with people. Uh, but also to, I'm sort of using this time at the moment to really support my clients and followers, whether that's on different social media platforms, uh, just to allow them to be inspired by how their personal style can kind of and those tools that they have empower them to show up um, and just be able to somewhat not deal with but somewhat just navigate the next couple of weeks next few months what that looks and feels like I think it's so easy and it's something that um I'll personally share, even earlier this week, we're so consumed by different media forums and there's so much information. It's very easy to quite, to get quite down um, and to feel like, you know, it's somewhat a little bit helpless. Um, and that's why I decided that I would bring light to a bit of a virtual style challenge, which um, we're on day seven at the moment, but it's really just encouraging people to still maintain a routine. So get up, get dressed, put on your armor for the day or whatever that looks like. Um, so you can somewhat have normality. You might be in self-isolation or you might be, um, you know, not able to work or perhaps you have lost your job. And there's a lot of unfortunate people out there at the moment that have experienced that. Um, and even as a small business owner like myself, there's been um, some really, you know, heartbreaking things have happened that I've even had to postpone. You know, the fact that things have um, such, with personal styling, they have such correlation to events, whether that's races or there's um, weddings or there's, you know, all of these incredible celebratory um, things that we normally love um, to dress up for. Those are all huge parts of my business that really formulate what, you know, styling clients I work with and even masterclass events that I usually host uh, have either need to be postponed, rescheduled, or we're moving them online. But all of those come into different components around, you know, somewhat normality. And when things like, you know, quite traumatizing events can happen to people, it's very easy to just lose yourself again in the situation. So the the method of the virtual style challenge was really just to uh, encourage people to still get dressed, give them a bit of a topic 
of the day of what they can, you know, go into their wardrobe and pull something out and put it on uh, rather than just run around in your PJs and tracky-dacks or somewhat that, you know, something that's going to disempower you. Um, I'm all about comfort though, I must say, Sophia. I'm all, I'm all about the comfort. But um, <laughs> when I'm glad to hear that, Carrie. I'm wearing yeah, a um, – it is quite fashionable, but it is a onesie technically, so. I oh, love that. Cute. <laughs> um, but you can see, I think, knowing the power of clothing, um, and I think this is where I take such a privilege of what I do as a stylist, there's nothing really frivolous around, you know, clothing itself it really is quite powerful um and if you are in whether in self-isolation or you're kind of just taking that break to kind of navigate what the next few weeks look like it's so so easy to just get into that mundane of you don't shower you don't wash your hair you don't brush your teeth like and it's so easy to do because of the outside factor but somewhat there is such a human um, psychology and there's such a correlation between keeping and maintaining that routine whether that's getting up having a shower you know moving your body of some description of however that looks and feels like nourishing your body um, you know having something to you you can put on whether that's if you're running around the house even if you are in um, these you know uncertain times and you're running around the house in a red lip I've actually got one on today because I just I woke up and I was like you know what Today's a red lip day. Why not? It's Friday. You know, there's all of these different components that we have control over still within our own means um, that can just lift your energy. And especially it's something that I um, talk a lot about with my styling clients that are small business owners and they are working from home. By keeping that routine, it just, it automatically will lift your mood and I can only speak upon my own experience, but I'm so much more productive when I'm actually ready for work from a psychology basis. It's somewhat setting up my day. It's priming that morning ritual, whether it's putting on some makeup or putting on a red lip, putting, getting dressed in something that I really love and then going about my day, even if I am just running around the house. Um, but it also just gives you the opportunity then that if, for example, you get a last-minute Skype call or someone needs to FaceTime you or a client or you need to have a meeting, you're ready. There's no um, turbulent sort of uncertainty around what am I going to do or you need to just, you know, put the blazer on top of the pyjamas, which also is a great coping mechanism, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, I but, do love that. I did see your tip. I did see your little funny video. <laughs> it was awesome. But it's, it's so true. It's like it's being able to know how you can navigate um, out of certain situations also, which we're all about. But I think there is something to be said around maintaining that consistency on how you're showing up every single day, even throughout turbulent times as well. Um, but, yeah, circling back to your question, sorry, this is what happens, Sophia. I can talk all day. Um, how sort of business looks and feels like. Um, now it is just really utilizing um, and making a conscious effort to connect with people on a whole nother level and whether that is virtually or picking up the phone um, to people or you know sending those extra emails just to touch base and check in with people I think there's more there's definitely been a shift in the last couple of weeks around that um, 
human connection more now than ever. Uh, but also to just for me, I mean, if um, you mentioned the funny video, I would never of my wildest dreams um, think that I would be on TikTok running around making styling videos. But do you know what? It's actually, it's circumstances like this that you you just need an outlet and you have a bit of fun and it's just another way to connect and bring light in a situation that we don't have much control over um, apart from what we can control within our own households. But really just, yeah, keeping that inspiration and fun alive. Oh, thank you so much, Kerry. And thank you so much for joining me. I, I want to get you back already because I have so many questions that I would love to be able to ask you if we had more time. How can people get in contact though with you, Kerry, if they're interested in knowing more about you, your services and what you're up to on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, my website is uh, au or you can find me over on Instagram or TikTok, whichever tickles your fancy, uh, or when that's Kerry Carucci underscore stylist. Find out more about the I Made A Thing podcast by heading to the website at imadeathingpodcast.com. There you can listen to all previous episodes, read the show notes, and access any resources and further reading. 